I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. True story. I used to stay at my grandparents' house a lot when I was younger. They wanted to help out and such. They owned a 40, 50 acre farm with their house about a quarter mile into the woods. It was summer and we all were going to bed. I always have had trouble falling asleep and was the only one awake and was returning from the bathroom to join my cousin on the top bunk with me in the bottom. The bedroom had one window facing a light post my grandparents had installed. I was just covering myself up when I saw something cast a shadow against the window curtain. Once, 
Then twice it was fast, but I could tell there was something moving outside. I crawled out to the bed, hugging the floor, already scared. I was about a foot from the closed curtain with my eye just above the window seal. I stared out and nothing happened for a few seconds. Then I saw a figure cast a shadow onto the curtain. It looked like a big dog head, long snout-tail pointed ears. It stopped perfectly center of the window frame that slowly turned its head to face me. I froze, but it then raised up a few inches to show its shoulders. I can only describe it as a wolf head on a human body. The it turned away and moved on. People said I was young. It was only a nightmare. It wasn't. I remember it vividly. I forgot to mention that this window was about five feet up from the ground. It was my mother's old room as a child, and when I asked her if she ever saw anything, she paused for several seconds, began to speak, shook her head, and stuttered out a no. She knew the folklore and refused to speak, and we dropped it, but I knew why she responded that way. Never mention them aloud. I can't explain this. I'm still scared to be alone at night there. Even typing this gave me goosebumps. The moment I set foot within the confines of the ancient forest, I felt an inexplicable sense of unease. The towering trees, the branches reaching skyward like skeletal fingers, seemed to whisper secrets carried on the wind. It was a remote national park, a place where I had eagerly accepted the position of park ranger, drawn by the allure of solitude and the raw beauty of the wilderness. Little did I know that this sanctuary of nature held a darkness that would forever alter my perception of reality. At first I brushed aside the odd sensations as mere jitters from the unfamiliar surroundings. The trails, once clear and well marked, started to twist and turn unexpectedly, leading me deeper into the heart of the forest. Unexplained rustling in the underbrush followed my every step, leaving me with the uncanny sensation that unseen eyes were tracking my movements. Reports from campers and hikers grew increasingly disturbing. They spoke of dreams filled with whispers that seemed to emerge from the very shadows themselves, haunting their sleep with words they couldn't quite grasp. It was as though the forest was alive with an otherworldly presence, an entity that watched and waited in the hidden recesses. One moonlit night during my routine patrol, I stumbled upon an ancient, dilapidated cabin concealed among the trees. The air around it hung heavy with malevolent energy, sending shivers down my spine. Curiosity drove me to step inside, where I discovered journals and records of past park rangers. Each account echoed the same unsettling phenomena I was experiencing. Hideaway figures lurking just beyond sight, voices that whispered, enigmatic secrets in the dead of night. Determined to unveil the truth, I delved deep into the park's history. Old records unveiled tales of an ancient ritual ground, a place where dark ceremonies had once been performed by a long-forgotten cult. Legends recounted a malevolent entity summoned through these rituals, now imprisoned within the shadows, feeding off the fear of those who dared enter the forest. My investigation only fueled the entity's power. Vivid nightmares racked my sleep, filled with unsettling visions and whispered truths that slithered into my consciousness. My fellow rangers, once close allies, grew distant and guarded, haunted by their own encounters with the entity. Reports emerged of visitors vanishing without a trace, 
leaving only their terrified cries echoing among the trees. My resolve to confront the malevolent presence only deepened. I navigated the increasingly distorted forest where reality and illusion intertwined, leading me into a nightmarish labyrinth of fear and darkness. Cryptic clues from the cult's past guided my path, each step bringing me closer to the entity's hidden lair. The climax of my journey arrived at the heart of the ancient ritual ground. In a battle of wills and courage, armed with the knowledge I'd gleaned and a determination to protect the park and its visitors, I faced the entity. The forest itself seemed to tremble as we clashed, and the line between reality and nightmare blurred. With each defiant step I took, the entity's power weakened. Shadows receded, the forest's grip on reality loosened, and the malevolent presence began to wane. As dawn broke and sunlight pierced the trees, a sense of calm and renewal descended upon the land. I left the park, my heart heavy with the memories of my harrowing journey. The forest appeared serene once more, the haunting presence seemingly vanquished. Yet, as I walked away, I couldn't shake the feeling that the darkness lingered biding its time, waiting for another brave soul to tread its tangled paths. The forest secrets remained eternally bound to the shadows and the echoes of a forgotten cult. I was sitting by my campfire one night in an old growth cypress swamp in the deep south, thinking about crawling in my tent and going to sleep. In the quiet of the night, I heard a four-wheeler moving through the woods on a trail about a quarter mile away. It stopped, then I heard three shots, and after a few moments the sound faded again as it rode away. I decided it was most likely some trespassing redneck spotlighting deer, and since there was nothing to be done about it, I went on to bed. Around 3 a.m. that night, I was jerked awake by a sound of a pack of snarling, yipping coyotes. They were close, and they were ripping apart a wounded deer. The squealing sound the deer made while being eaten sounded almost like a screaming child, and I could hear that sound distinctly even over the snarls. In answer, two distant packs of coyotes up in the hills above the swamp began howling, and I felt the hair stand up on the back of my neck. The awful squealing stopped after a few minutes, but the snarling went on for some time as the coyotes fought over the torn carcass. I lay there in the dark for the rest of the night, listening in dread while the dying embers of my fire cast random, freakish shadows against the walls of my tent. I was bike, packing a trail with a close friend of mine in early August. We had camped at the top of the pass for the night and were heading down the trail back to the road. The woods were silent except for the pouring rain and buzzing mosquitoes. I had a prickling feeling on the back of my neck like I was being watched, but every instinct I had was telling me to not look back. I was almost to the trailhead, coming around a sharp turn when I saw something big and dark and insanely fast move across the trail a ways behind me. I knew it wasn't a moose or a bear, and it was too big to be a wolf. I would play it off as trick of the light, but for the feeling of almost overwhelming dread and fear. I've always been an avid mushroom picker, roaming the woodlands of southeast Poland in search of edible treasures hidden among the undergrowth. One autumn day, I set out on my usual mushroom-picking expedition, hoping to return home with a bountiful harvest. 
As I wandered deeper into the forest, I stumbled upon something utterly bizarre, a concrete staircase that seemed to lead to nowhere. It was as if it should have led to a building that wasn't there, or perhaps a very tall plane. Curiosity peaked. I decided to investigate further. As I approached the staircase, I noticed that everything within a 100-meter radius was rotten and dead. The air carried a peculiar soapy smell that I couldn't quite place. When I stepped closer, the ground beneath my boots gave in and bubbled, as if reacting to my presence. Feeling unnerved, I quickly decided to leave this strange place behind. I hurried back home, washed myself thoroughly, and disposed of my clothes and boots. However, in the days that followed, I developed a nasty cough and a painful rash that seemed to spread across my body. Concerned, I visited the doctor who ran a series of tests on me. Eventually, he concluded that my symptoms were caused by irritation from a strongly basic substance. Similar to lie, the diagnosis left me with more questions than answers. To this day, I still wonder what that mysterious staircase was doing in the middle of the woods. Could it have been the remnants of an old soap factory or warehouse? And if so, why was it located in such a remote and desolate place? Despite my efforts to uncover the truth, the enigma of the concrete staircase remains one of the strangest and most unsettling experiences of my life. My dad worked as a cop in a small town here in Montana. Nothing really out of the ordinary, just burglars and kids playing pranks, domestic violence stuff. Yeah, that was ordinary for him. As my siblings and I grew older, we learned some pretty unnerving stuff about people and our neighbors. Some people are just evil. No justification is necessary. My father is a very no-nonsense kind of man. He's also an atheist and very skeptical about things like the paranormal, especially considering most of the crap he's had to deal with involved real-life humans or animals. But there is one situation he never got cleared up. There are lots of abandoned houses where we grew up. My town definitely saw better times in the past. There were some pretty elegant buildings left to decay. Kids would play there, urban exploration, and there were a few emergencies concerning drug dealers and gangs, mostly calls from scared neighbors or people who saw weird stuff. One night, my father is sent with a partner towards an abandoned place because a kid and an elderly woman saw a witch man dance into a fire in the backyard, apparently. He thought it was either a druggie or some sort of gang activity. It had to go. The worst is that they can only find it would be local kids lighting up a bonfire, and they'd have to stop them and make them toss out the fire before things got out of control. So they met a bunch of neighbors complaining about the noise and lights, and everybody kept talking about the witch man. My father's companion says he saw somebody moving on the floor above, so they got to the house, announced themselves, and just get inside because naturally nobody answered. Once inside, they say the prank was successful and fun, but that it's time to stop. The neighbors have had enough. They start to register the place. A room for room, and they only see old stuff, but really nothing of value. It must have been stolen. Same for the second floor, but there, and my father begins feeling tense, and so does his partner, like they were being watched. But they saw nobody, and it's not like there were many places left to hide, really. In the end, both my father and his partner saw something shiny outside. Orange light of fire. 
but when they looked at the window, they saw nobody there. They talked to the police station via the radio, hearing more complaints about the noise, but nothing else. Both walk around the garden and saw nothing, and that's what they told the worried neighbors. It was not until they reached the station that they saw the people they were giving them odd looks. A lady from Admin later showed them an audio recording. And you could hear my father and his colleague describing what he saw on the neighbors' complaints. Yelling noises in the background from an angry man with a very deep, raspy voice. The noises were slushed and weird, but it said something like, Get out. This is my place. They received a few more emergency calls. Nobody ever found anything really relevant. To this day, my father who I repeat is still a firm non-believer, still feels rather creeped out when he remembers that event. Not me, but my father. He was in his early thirties deer hunting in Western Mass, 1980s. He was a few miles out from the main road when he came across a frozen human corpse, immediately hiked out and called the authorities. Apparently a few miles away, there was a camp for the mentally challenged. A woman had run off and got lost. My dad never did go hunting again after that. I'm mainly looking for help identifying what creature my cousin may have come in contact with in the following story. I've grown up with stories about skinwalkers, but we both live on the East Coast, and the connection seems unlikely. Please comment and share your thoughts. What did my cousin, who we will call Alan, see? The story is as follows. Alan was returning home late at night after visiting his girlfriend at her home. Ellen lives down a long stretch of road that, while in a growingly suburban area, is still well forested, his house is at the end of the road across from a pasture that includes a horse and one hog. As Alan was driving towards his house, he became aware of a large white mist that was floating in the air over the pasture area. Alan stopped his vehicle and watched as the mist, seemingly now aware of his presence, began to hover and then abruptly dart down toward the earth. Alan was baffled at what he saw, and then the situation escalated when he realized that on the ground, directly where the mist darted and disappeared, now sat a rabbit. Alan said it was, as if the mist entered the rabbit. A couple of things to mention. One, it was late at night, not during the dawn-dusk hours, when rabbits are usually out eating and hopping around. Two, the house Alan... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And lives in is notoriously haunted, but nothing like has occurred before or since. What are your thoughts? Apparently, after seeing the rabbit, Alan floored it into the driveway and went in for the night. Was this some kind of SW or other shapeshifter? (laughs) 
So this was kind of cool. I've been pretty bummed the last couple days. I picked up an old PSA for $40 to learn with and sneaked my way into bow hunting. Then, trying to get it set up just right, and noticed several cracks in the lower limb. Heartbreaking, since it won't be until about this time next year that I might be able to buy a real battle to learn with and hunt with. I had my hopes up about trying my hand at bow hunting and ditching my boom stick, so yeah, I was pretty bummed. I'll admit, I've been moping around a bit since I found those cracks, so last night I woke up at 214 to some unknown sound. Dog was on the foot of the bed. I could see the cat on the windowsill. Quietly grabbed my pistol and flashlight, kept at bedside, of course, and held my breath, waiting for another sound. Tink, tink, tink. It came from the kitchen. Quietly get out of bed and put my low-light building clearing tactics to work. Get to the kitchen, not knowing what to expect, but fully expecting to see something out of the norm. But nothing. I slowly and... Quietly cleared the rest of the house, but didn't find anything. I went outside and walked around the house. Dang was it cold out there, but did not see any sign of trouble. I went back inside and checked the house one more time before going back to bed. I got back up at four to get ready for work. Before I left, I went to grab my lunch out of the fridge and noticed the magnets on the door form the shape of an uh, whip the pictures they were holding up, laying on the floor. It wasn't like that a few hours earlier. Guess she's still looking out for me, that made me smile. Still bummed about not being able to practice with a bow, but not nearly as gloomy. Dorothy Martin, who had been communicating with aliens by automatic writing, was visited by two men, one an ordinary human being. The other, very strangest. The former did all the talking. He said, I am of this planet, but he is not. For half an hour, he told her that she should not publicize her information, as the time is not right now. Later, she was visited by five young men who told her that what I said was all false and mixed up. And they told me that they were in contact with outer space, too, and all the writings I had were wrong. When I was around 15, me and my friends were driving around going to all the haunted places around the basin. It was getting close to Halloween, so as is tradition, we were all trying to scare each other. First, we went to a place called the Haunted Woods. This is an actual business, not a place in the woods. Then we went to an abandoned hotel near the Ute Reservation. Nothing of significance happened there. We didn't see or hear anything, and we were just goofing around and having fun. Then the driver said as we were going to Skinwalker Ranch. I had never heard of Skinwalker Ranch, but I had heard plenty of stories of skinwalkers. I was intrigued at first, but as we dropped down the hill back behind the property, a feeling of total dread settled on me like a heavy blanket. Everyone in the car got more and more quiet, like they were feeling the heaviness, too. I don't think we should go here. I spoke softly. Oh, we're going. The driver announced there's no moon tonight and no flashlights allowed. He continued. I'll just stay in the truck then. I have a really bad feeling and I don't want to go. I spoke again. You aren't staying in my truck alone. Now get out. He said rudely. I got out of the truck and looked over at my best friend. 
Her face was white, and her eyes were wide and round, and I knew she felt the same way that I did. We shouldn't be here. The driver of the truck said that this was the back end of the huge ranch. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed him that this was really Skinwalker Ranch if I didn't feel that it was in every nerve ending of my body. He walked over to an ancient post and pole fence, and did the loop of wire holding up a small gate, and laid it on the ground. It was an overgrown two-track road leading up into the darkness, and we followed as he led us up it. The horrible feeling of dread was almost overwhelming, and I felt like I was going to be sick. I wanted a running back to the truck, but had a deep fear that something would pounce the moment I left the safety of the group. We weren't laughing and joking here. That heaviness was weighing on all of us, and we walked silently through the dark. As we walked, I tried to keep my eyes on my feet, but I would occasionally glance to either side of the two-track road. Each time I did, I would see a huge black mass out in the tall grass. I told myself it was just a cow, but each time I looked, it was in the same spot off to the left, following our journey to the old homestead. Finally, the driver and leader of our foolish expedition stopped and said that we were almost to the old homestead, that we needed to stay quiet in case the owners were around. As he turned to start walking again, a growl leapt from the darkness, and he stopped and took a step back. He wasn't our fearless leader anymore. His voice shook as he told us it was time to head back to the truck. We walked a little ways back, and then one of our group said they needed to use the bathroom. We stopped by a small stream running along the south end of the property. I was smoking and talking to one of my friends about how relieved I was that we were leaving. I glanced down at the stream at the same time my friend did, just in time to see a black figure emerging from the water. It was not a cow. It was not a coyote. It looked like a too skinny and too tall man. We both screamed and ran back to the road. That was the last straw for everyone, and we all ran the entire way back to the truck. Now I know that is eerie, but kind of uneventful. Have no fear. My story isn't over yet. A few months later, this adventure had slowly left my mind. I had started to convince myself that the figures in the darkness were just cows and that it probably was just the dark running water playing tricks on my eyes, making me see things emerging from the water that weren't really there. My best friend had come over to my house to sit outside, bullshit, and smoke cigarettes. We did this pretty frequently. Like I said in my last story, we lived in the middle of nowhere, so dumb things like this were about as much fun as we could have. So, we're sitting in her car just across the road from my house. Her car is pointed towards the town park, which was just about a block away from my house. There are no other houses on the way to the park, so with the street lamps on at the park, you can basically see everything up there. Oh, look a deer, my friend says suddenly. I could see a set of glowing eyes on the very far end of the park. Oh, yep, there it is, I reply. We watch it as it slowly walks towards the center of the park. In this spot is a huge metal slide or jungle gym thing that is probably 10, 12 feet tall. As the deer is walking, I notice that for some reason I can't make out any features of the deer. It seems to always be just out of reach of the street lamps that are dotted throughout the park. The deer is right next to the slide when suddenly it stands up. The eyes that we were watching are suddenly even with the platform of the slide, which would make this deer 10-12 feet tall. 
and starts to walk standing on its hind legs. Me and friend both started panicking. What the F is it? That's not a deer. We keep watching this extremely tall creature cross the park when my friend decided we're driving up there. She locks the doors and we head towards the park. When we were almost there, the eyes had crossed the street and went into the neighborhood across from the park. By the time we got there, whatever it was, had vanished. Now a few months go by. The event had definitely rattled us and there was no convincing ourselves that it was a deer. Deer do not walk on their hind legs and they are not ten feet tall. One night, I am at the same friend's house. This friend lived smack dab in the middle of huge farmland. All around her were pastures. It was very peaceful most of the time. We had spent the night watching movies and hanging out. I went and started my car and we were smoking together on our porch before I left. We were just chatting when suddenly her eyes leave my face and look behind me, and her eyes grow wide. I turn to look and see two glowing red eyes just past the fence into her neighbor's pasture. What the F is that? I managed to squeak out. I don't know, she whispers back. The eyes remained fixed on us for about thirty seconds, then turned to the left, blinked, and vanished. We both ran back in the house. I didn't dare go home for another forty-five minutes. If my car hadn't been already started, I probably wouldn't have left at all. A couple of years after these events, I was speaking with a Ute tribal member that I worked with, and she said something that gives me goosebumps to this day. She told me it isn't what's on the ranch that you should be afraid of. It's what follows you when you leave. I'm convinced that something followed us from Skinwalker Ranch and those terrifying events was something warning us to never go back. I never did, and I never will. I used to work on the north slope of Alaska in the oil industry. The work we were doing required us to travel far out into the Alaska Petroleum Reserve, which is basically just untamed tundra wilderness for hundreds of miles. The oil companies would build these long ice roads in the winter that would lead to exploration drilling pads. Our job was to go out after they finished the initial drilling and test rock formations for their oil-producing qualities. It was mid-January. The sun hadn't quite come up yet. And when I say the sun hadn't come up, I mean in almost a month and a half, polar nights are intense. The particular well site we were traveling to was about 60 miles west of Alpine, Alaska, deep in the wilderness. Our job took a week, but we finished and were headed back to camp to finish our hitch and go home. At the beginning and end of the ice roads are guard shacks that you have to check in and out of for safety. No cell reception and radios work only up to a distance. If you don't check in or out in a set time, they come looking for you to ensure you're not a popsicle. It was about four in the morning, not that it mattered. In the land of endless night, and we were halfway across the ice road, travel was slow as the speed limit on the roads is only 25 miles per hour, when something appeared on the road in our headlights. It was a man, in jeans, sneakers and a hoodie jacket, walking down an ice road in wilderness tundra at 4 a.m., and it was minus 20 degrees outside. It's not unusual for the local Inuit people to be out this far hunting. Maybe his snowmobile broke down and he's trying to get back to the guard shack. Seemed plausible. He didn't acknowledge us as our trucks rolled up next to him. 
He just kept shuffling forward. He didn't seem cold, his clothing, while totally not appropriate for this extreme weather, appeared warm and dry. We also noticed he wasn't Inuit, but Caucasian. I rolled down my window and asked if he needed any help and if he was okay. He still didn't acknowledge us, just kept shuffling forward. His face was completely blank, devoid of any thought or emotions. The other guys in my truck suggested that maybe he was in an accident and in shock. I continued rolling my truck alongside him as he trudged down the road, still trying to get his attention. Even in this extreme cold, I could occasionally get whiffs of a peculiar smell coming off him. He smelled. Acidic. If that makes sense. There was just a lot about this guy that made the hair on my neck stand up. The guy behind me in the truck's crew cab had had enough of all this. He rolled down his window and reached out to grab the guy. He later said he was just going to try and shake him out of a stupor. Before my buddy's hand could reach him, though this walking popsicle spun around and latched onto my buddy's outstretched arm, he glared at my buddy and then at me with this look of pure rage, not removing his hand from his arm. If emotions had a physical temperature, this guy could have melted the entire tundra that night. My buddy groaned in pain as he tried to get his arm free from Mr. Popcycle. At that moment, this guy starts screaming in our faces. There was so much hate and rage and anger in that scream. It was absolutely terrifying. I slammed on the gas and spun out on the ice for a second before the wheels caught and launched us forward. Popsicle dude still had a hold of my buddy's arm and was trying to pull him out of the truck. He was running alongside the truck while the other guys in the cab held onto my buddy to keep him inside. After several moments, if could only have been a few seconds at most, my buddy tore free from this guy and we hauled ass to the guard shack another thirty miles down the road. We checked in with the guards and reported what we had just seen. The guard was looking at us like we were pulling a prank, but policy said they had to check it out regardless. My buddy's arm was sore, and when he pulled back his sleeve, there were noticeable bruises in the shape of a hand around his arm. We filed a report with the guard and were told to head back to our camp. None of us really wanted to talk about what happened, and it was a quiet drive the rest of the way. We flew home the next day. The next time we saw the guard at this shack, we asked him if they ever saw Mr. Popteckle on his patrols. He told us they searched up and down that ice road for a solid twelve-hour shift and saw nothing. Not even tracks in the snow leading off the road. He told us it was a good prank and that he'd get us back for making him waste a shift driving around. But it wasn't a prank. Who would make up a story like that? And who would willingly bruise their arm for a dumb prank? We never got a satisfying answer to what happened that evening. I still wonder about that dude. If he even was a dude... The Alaskan tundra is a weird place, and that was just one of my many weird stories from my time up there. I'll work to write down more of my experiences and share them to the appropriate subs.